0: Good and gracious God, thank you so much that you have given us the chance as one body to come together to sing songs and hymns, to hear the word preached, and to proclaim the goodness and glory of your holy name. Lord, this is a blessing to us, and Lord, as we receive the blessing of gathering together and if celebrating who you are, Lord, we pray that this word would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to a greater revelation of you. Lord, I do not want to stand up here and be the voice that is heard. I hope that you are heard. And I hope that we are encouraged by your presence this morning. And so, Lord, make very little of myself and make very much of you. And gather us together to hear, O Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we prepare to hear the word of God proclaimed, I just got word that it is uh, Evelyn Ingram's birthday. So... Um, If everyone just wants to turn toward her real quick and just say, happy birthday, (laughs) Uh, we love celebrating one another in this church. And I think it's important that we remember that as being a part of the body, we do get to celebrate one another. And that is so exciting to me. But as we prepare to open the Word this morning, we're again opening to the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bible or your pew Bible or your phone app with you this morning and you want to go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8, that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series exploring this book of Revelation. And we've already discussed that it's the one book in the Bible that it is blessed to hear and to read And to keep. And so we want to make sure that as we journey through this series together that we read the entire book as one body. And so hear these words this morning from Revelation chapter 2 starting in verse 8 through verse 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, This is what the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will never be hurt by the second death. You know, in addition to being a book of apocalypse of encouragement, of prophecy, it's also a letter written to the churches as encouragement. And here, once again, we find ourselves in a letter written to the church in Smyrna. And at first, we read this letter, and it can be a little hard to read, to hear about suffering and affliction and tribulation and wonder, how in the world am I supposed to respond to this letter this morning? Well, let me start by sharing that, first of all, I don't know where you are at in your life, what kind of trials and tribulations and sufferings you face. I think we each, in our own right, in some way, shape, or form, feel afflicted by life, whether we feel mental affliction and tribulation dealing with mental anguish. Maybe we are feeling the Financial struggles that exist in a world where inflation is on the rise and paycheck doesn't go as far as the last paycheck did. Struggling to pay rent and utilities and even in this letter we read about the poverty that the church in Smyrna is facing. Or maybe you feel the tribulation and affliction of illness and disease and trying to figure out what it means to cope with it. And as I think about that last one, I think that there are many of you that I could tell a story about, but there's one person in particular that when I think about the journey of dealing with disease and illness and sickness is Mimi Johnson. And I think about all the things that she's had to endure and go through, all the the treatments, the cancer, the flights, the constant will this work or will that work? Let's try something else. Let's go to the next thing, the next experimental operation. And as I think about everything that she's been through, all this trial, all this tribulation, all this suffering, there's nobody that I think is a greater testimony to endurance in faith than Mimi. There's nobody that has suffered as well as what what I have seen and witnessed in her life. She's literally a walking testimony of the letter to the church in Smyrna. And so I want us to keep her at the forefront of our mind as we read this encouragement from Jesus about how we should endure all things in the midst of life's trials and circumstances that don't always seem to want to go our way. And so as we open this letter, we read that it's to the angel, to the church in Smyrna, to the messenger, to the church in Smyrna, to the one that is proclaiming to the church in Smyrna, this is what the first and the last. So again, as we read each of these letters, we're going to get an image of who Jesus is to the church. Who is Jesus trying to proclaim himself to be to that church in particular? And here's the thing that I love about the way that Jesus declares himself to a church is it always takes place right within the context of who they might see themselves as or identify themselves as. And in Smyrna, you see Smyrna, again, like Ephesus, is a port city. But what's interesting about Smyrna is that it was actually a city completely wiped out and destroyed and then rebuilt. In fact, it was the first city that we have evidence of that was rebuilt according to a certain plan. They had a city planner lay out the entire city. And what's more is that the motto for the, the city of Smyrna was that it was the first city in Asia, the most beautiful and magnificent. That was their motto. They were the first city of Asia, the most beautiful and magnificent. It was a port city with lots of diversity, but it was also a city built that had the greatest amount of emperor worship toward Caesar in Rome. So much so that it was the first city authorized to build a temple to Caesar for worship of him. And so we start putting this together. This is a city that considered itself the first city, the best city, the greatest city in all of Asia, a port city with diversity that worshiped, the Roman emperor. And here Jesus steps into the city of Smyrna that called itself first, and he says, no, I am first, and I am last. I was the one who was dead, a city that had been demolished to the ground but rose again, but no, I am the one who has come to life. You can try to put your faith in the existence of the city in which you are, or you can put your identity in the one who is first and who is last, who was dead and who came to life. I am Jesus. This is what I have to say to you as you recognize me for who I am. Church in Smyrna. I know your tribulation. That word, tribulation, can also be translated as affliction. And so, as you read through the New Testament and you see the words affliction or tribulation, you're reading the same work and the same word in Greek. And there are so many instances. Throughout the Gospels, where Jesus talks about coming tribulation, I recall many times when Jesus said, They will hate you because they hated me first. But one of the most encouraging places that I think in Scripture when I think about tribulation is I think about Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. You have affliction. Mind you, let us remember these words of Jesus that just because we accepted Christ, does not mean that tribulation and suffering and affliction is no longer a part of what we get to experience. I think there's a lot in the way of a false gospel that can be preached nowadays. It says, if you just trust and believe in Jesus, then you are never going to have to face suffering. You will never have to face face tribulation. If you just give God what God wants, then he is going to give abundantly more to you, and you will never have to want for anything. But that is not the truth of the entire gospel. The truth of the gospel is that sometimes we will face suffering, we will face affliction, we will have hardship, we will wonder why people that aren't Christian and don't follow Christ oppress those that follow Jesus. It's not hard to see and look around in a society today that gets more and more secular how the way of following Jesus is becoming less and less normal and normative, but more and, but less and less appealing. We can't expect people that are in the world and of the world to live a life that is like Jesus or to treat people that are like Jesus anything less than the way they treated Jesus when he came. Suffering and hardship is a part of the Christian experience. As hard as that might be for some of us to accept and believe, it is. But just because we experience affliction in our life doesn't mean that we respond in the negative But I didn't finish the rest of 33. Jesus goes on to say, In the world you have tribulation. You have affliction. But take courage. I have overcome the world. I have the first and the last, the one who was dead and who has come to life. I have overcome the world. You may be suffering. You might see affliction. You might understand what I have gone through. You might now be going through, but it's okay. Your hope is not in the way the world treats you. Your hope isn't in the way that you experience life. Your hope is in me. Your hope is is in Jesus. You can take courage. You can have anti-fear because of Jesus. Because he overcame the world. And how do we experience this kind of overcoming in the world? Well, one way is I think through prayer. For sure, as we Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. I love how Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the full knowledge of him so that you the eyes of your heart having been enlightened will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints you're like I'm not seeing the connection I'm not I don't I don't see what what's the connection between prayer and the affliction that I might face because In having a spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of who Christ is, having our eyes enlightened to the glory of God allows us to remember what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I point to that because in our letter to Smyrna, he says, it's not just tribulation and affliction, but I see your poverty Whether that poverty is literal fiscal poverty, as in these people had no money, they were struggling to just buy common goods in order to survive, or is a poverty of spirit, because they knew that they could do nothing apart from Christ himself, which I am led to believe that it is both, because in their poverty it says, you are rich. You are rich. But how are they rich? Because they're aware, as the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 says, of the great inheritance of being opened to the wisdom and knowledge that you have in Christ Jesus. Because you know Christ, you are full of every bit of riches. That's the wealth of our inheritance. It's not about whether or not I have financial wealth. But I have wealth in Christ. And so, no matter my affliction, no matter my suffering, if I have Jesus, I have all that I need. And that's what Jesus is saying. I see your suffering, I see your affliction, I see your poverty, but I also see you are rich. I see that you have clung to me. I see that your eyes have been opened to the knowledge of me. I see that you have not left me nor abandoned me like Ephesus did. I see that you know me. And then he continues and he says, and they blaspheme by those who say they are Jews and they are not but are a synagogue of Satan. I want us to see that for a second because Jesus used very similar words in the gospel of John chapter 8 verses 42 through 44. He was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite, the people that thought they had it all together, the people that thought they were on the right side of God, that thought that their works righteousness was all that they needed to be called good in the kingdom. This is what Jesus says to those kinds of people. He says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to go to the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Here's a really important truth that we have to understand that We could face affliction and suffering in our life, and we could either be one who is in our Father, who is Yahweh God, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, or we can experience affliction and suffering in our lives and live as one that is a father of the devil. And that might be harsh, but let me explain. If you are experiencing affliction and suffering in your life and you decide that the best way to deal with affliction is suffering is by complaining. And by just saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, my life is awful, why has God done this to me? Does God get glory for that? Is God exalted in that kind of living? Do people see that and say, I want more of that in my life. I want more pain and suffering so I can complain to others about how mean God has been to me. Or does that give more glory to the enemy? Or let me think of it this way, maybe you're not complaining about God, but you're complaining about people and saying, well, they've done this, and they've done that, and you make more accusations about people in your life than you do about glorifying God for the things that he has done, even in the midst of your suffering and affliction. Mind you, remember, or let me teach you, that Satan, his name, literally derives from the Hebrew word hasatan, which means... The accuser. And if we live our life in accusation toward one another, then the enemy is gaining ground. And I only say that to us so that we can all be more cautious of enduring through. And I'm not saying there aren't times that you need to go to a brother and sister and just say, This is really hard and it's overwhelming. But then the next words out of our mouths should be, Will you pray with me? Will you lead me back to the heart of my Father who is in heaven? Will you reveal to me once more who Jesus is and what he has done? Will you lead me again by the power of the Holy Spirit that I might overcome and have my eyes open to wisdom and revelation to the riches of my inheritance that are in the glory of God. Come on, that's so good. That's the way that I want to live my life is not one who complains. I've lived that long enough. I've lived as a complainer, y'all, and it's, it's, it gets old real fast. Nobody wants to be around a complainer long. Trust me, I know. I've lost a lot of friends because I've been called a negative Nancy. No offense to any Nancys. But I've lived that long enough. I want to be positive. I want to be like, even in the midst of hardship, man, my God is so good. Man, I still have my life. I still have my family. I still have my church. Praise be to him. I still have my faith. Even if it is the size of a mustard seed, it can still move mountains. And so let us be of our Father who is in heaven and not a part of the synagogue of Satan. And then Jesus goes on. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer because they're going to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Whether that's a literal 10 days or a figurative 10 days, it doesn't matter. All it means is all of us are going to suffer temporary tribulation. There, it will exist. It's, we're all going to go through it. And it's okay. He said, don't have fear. Don't live in fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear who's perfect love father god we don't have to suffer and here's the thing when we think about suffering i think about the words of peter in first peter chapter 5 6 through 10 he says therefore Humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God, the God who is almighty, who has the hand that is sovereign over all things. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Humble yourselves under that hand of God that he will exalt you at the proper time. You might not feel exalted. You might feel humbled. You might feel low. You might feel insignificant. You might feel like you're going through the valley, but don't worry. He's the mighty hand of God, and if you humble yourself to him, just wait. He's going to exalt you at the proper time, casting all All your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. Ooh, what a good testimony. Man, are we willing to humble ourselves under the almighty hand of God, recognizing that he can do all things, and that there is nothing that is possible For him, nothing that is impossible for him, for all things are possible for God. And if we resist, if we suffer for just a little while, his grace is going to come to us and he will restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground us. Man, I want to be rooted and grounded in God. I want to be rooted and grounded in Jesus. I want Him to be my firm foundation above all else. When I suffer, it's not that my ground is going to experience the shaking of that suffering, but I know that that ground will never give way because Christ is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. I have been grounded in Him. Amen. But how do we know when we've been grounded properly? Well, Matthew, he teaches us the parable of the sower. And he says that the one who is sown among the rocky soil, that when they experience tribulation, that is when they give up because the word of God never took root within them. Oh, would the word of God take root in us. And may it be encouraging to us. What that means is as you hear these words, all these scriptures proclaimed over you this morning, take them to heart. Let them sit in you. Let them take root in you. Let them be your firm foundation that you may know that when suffering comes, I can turn to the promises of scripture. I don't have to complain. I don't have to suffer unwell. And let me say this. When I say suffer unwell, that comes from a friend of mine found out that she had stage four cancer and a group of us were wondering, we were asking her, what can we pray for you? What can we pray? Because obviously we want to pray hearing, healing. We want to pray for a miracle. Oh, but there was one prayer she said, above all else, I have one prayer. She said to us, pray that I would suffer well pray that I would suffer well and that I may partake in the same suffering that Christ partook in. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Suffering is a badge of honor for the Christian. Suffering is a badge of honor for the one that follows Jesus because we get to partake in the same suffering of Jesus And we get to see his name glorified well. Oh, church. And then he says, I love this, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Let us endure to receive that crown of victory. That word crown of life, the crown is not like a kingship crown. It's a a wreath, a victor's crown. In the midst of games, receive that crown of victory that he has made for you. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He who overcomes will never be hurt by the second death. You'll never have to taste hell. I want to leave us with one testimony that comes from the church in Smyrna. There was a pastor there in 155 A.D. named Polycarp. And Polycarp was a pastor that was spreading the news of the good news of Jesus, the gospel news, but the religious elite, the Jews and the Romans, didn't like it. And they were coming after him. And this is the testimony of, of Polycarp. He said, Thus, when he had heard of their arrival, because he was hiding away in a cottage out in the country, he went downstairs and talked with his captors. And while those who looked on marveled at his age and constancy, at how there should be such zeal over the arrest of so old a man, straightway he ordered food and drink for them, as much as they wished to be set before them at that hour. And he asked them to give him an hour so that he might pray undisturbed. I love that he set a meal before them. Reminds me of Psalm 23, that he prepared a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And so he prepared food for them, and then he went to pray undisturbed. And when they consented, he stood and prayed, being so filled with the grace of God that for two hours he could not hold his peace. And to the amazement of those who heard... And many repented that had come to get such a devout old man. Later, when he was being questioned at trial to rebuke Jesus and to follow and fall at the feet of Caesar, he said, 86 years I have served Jesus and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And then, as he was being prepared to be burned at the stake, he had this prayer. Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed servant, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers of all creation and the whole race of the righteous who live in thy presence, I bless thee. Because thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour to take my part in the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for resurrection to eternal life of soul and body, the immortality of the Holy Spirit, among whom I may be received in thy presence this day as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, just as thou hast prepared and revealed beforehand and fulfilled Thou that art the true God without any falsehood for this and for everything I praise thee. I bless thee. I glorify thee. Though the eternal and heavenly priest, Jesus Christ, thy beloved servant, through whom be glory to thee with him and Holy Spirit both now until the ages to come. Amen. And they set him on fire. And then... When all the followers of the church in Smyrna were asked to renounce because of what they had just witnessed and the Jews, the Jewish leaders being afraid that they would then start worshiping Polycarp, the church responded, why would we worship a man? We can never forsake Christ who suffered for the salvation of the whole world of those who are saved the faultless for the sinners, nor can we ever worship any other. For we worship this one as son of God. But we love the martyrs as disciples and imitators of the Lord, deservedly so because of their unsurpassable devotion to their own king and teacher. May it also be our lot to be their companions, that they would suffer and and that they are our fellow disciples. May we learn to suffer well. And may we follow the example of the church in Smyrna. May we follow the example of our sister Mimi. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, thank you for this great work that you have done. Lord, that as we hear this letter of testimony to the church of Smyrna written, 60 years before what happened to Polycarp. And then we read the testimony of Polycarp and see that the church was faithful to hear the letter written by John in the Revelation. And they were going strong. So strong, in fact, the church in Smyrna is the, still the only church that exists out of all the churches written to in the letter in Revelation, the only one that still stands. So praise be to God that they learned how to suffer well and that we may follow their example, O Lord. Amen.